0: Welcome to RISE, Healing from Childhood Sexual Abuse podcast. I am your host, Jessica Heil, registered psychologist and DBT certified clinician. I am also a childhood sexual abuse survivor. In this podcast, I will offer information about childhood sexual abuse in order to provide you with knowledge on this difficult topic, as well as provide you with strategies and tips that you can access now in order to begin moving from surviving to thriving. Welcome back. back. Last episode, you heard my story about the abuse that had occurred when I was a child. And today what I would like to do is extend that story a little bit more and discuss the impact that the abuse had on my own mental health. And then from there, I would like to just share with you some of the steps that I took to begin healing from that childhood sexual abuse What I did to start a journey towards well being so that my life wasn't just fully encompassed by the abuse. I really wanted to make sure that my life was not centered around the abuse for my whole life, that I was able to move away from that and live a life that just really felt fulfilling to me. And I'm very pleased and proud to be able to say that I have done that. So I'm hoping that today is going to be a hopeful episode for you, that you're going to just hear some of the things that really were beneficial for me, and maybe it'll give you some ideas of steps that you can start to take as well. Uh, But before that, I will talk about the impact that the abuse had on my mental health. And the reason why I'm going to share this is because part of my mission here with this podcast is I would like to reduce the stigma that surrounds childhood sexual abuse. I think there is still a lot of stigma towards survivors, unfortunately, where there can be kind of this attitude of, oh, it happened so long ago, why can't you just get over it? You know, is this uh, really an excuse for all these different symptoms that you're experiencing? Those kind of things. And, And so I really want to start to poke some holes in those invalidating messages that people who haven't gone through childhood sexual abuse may be giving you, whether they're saying it explicitly or implicitly. And I'm hoping that this is going to just be a supportive place for you to hear about just how the abuse does tend to impact people. So I'll share my story first so that I can be part of that process of destigmatizing childhood sexual abuse. And then next episode, I'm going to broaden that conversation to just what are some of the really common after effects that can occur with childhood sexual abuse. And there will be some overlap, you will hear me talking about some of the symptoms that I experienced today. And you'll hear those same symptoms show up next episode when I'm talking about uh, what most people would experience. And there might be some things that are a little bit different because we all are people. And that means that we all have our own unique experiences. Okay, so I think where I left off last episode is I shared with you that around the age of 14, I started to remember a lot of the memories that I had forgotten about. And it was when those memories first came back that my mental health began to deteriorate. As the memories began showing up again, what I experienced was a combination of low mood, so definitely some symptoms of depression. Uh, Specifically, I remember just feeling really low, lethargic. It was hard to feel motivated to do much. I really wanted to isolate and spend a lot of time in my room. I had some sleeping concerns. I wasn't able to sleep, so lots of insomnia. And I also developed anxiety-related symptoms, things like a lot of worry thoughts, a lot of fear of bad things happening, a fear of of getting hurt, a fear of um, leaving, leaving the house, I'll say. It's not that I wouldn't leave the house. I never got quite to that point, which was very fortunate but I remember there just being a lot of anxiety every time that I had to leave the house and that if I had my way, I'd I'd just prefer to stay home. And the other thing that started to show up for me, which is quite common with survivors of childhood sexual abuse, is that I started to experience disordered eating. I found myself oscillating between uh, not Eating enough, restricting my eating, and then also sometimes overeating. And it was just a big back and forth, back and forth. And now, you know, as an adult looking back on this, I realized that that was probably me trying to mask emotions, try to fill a void, or maybe feel like I had some control over something in my life at a time of my life that really felt very uncontrollable. Those eating disorder behaviors lasted for me for about five years. And eventually, I was able to work my way through that, but it was uh, it was not a not a great experience. It was a hard thing to go through, and I know that a lot of survivors experience something similar. So, if you're listening and that's something that you're suffering from, just know you're not alone. Um, how else did it affect me? A, a big thing that I noticed was that I felt very invisible by the people around me. And I don't think it's necessarily that people were ignoring me or weren't noticing me. I think this was more my own perception. But I I really remember feeling alone. And I think part of that was because I knew I had gone through these experiences that most people hadn't. And so I think justifiably, I was looking around at my peers thinking, you know, how could you possibly understand me when you've had, you know, not these experiences? I mean, everybody goes through... Difficult things. So I, I don't want to minimize anything that anyone else has. But, you know, most at this time I was about 14. So most 14 year olds wouldn't necessarily have a memory of a family member doing something like this to them. So I felt very isolated in that. And I think also looking back now, one of the things that really I feel impacted me was just the thought that no one ever really stopped to say, Hey, like, is something something wrong? Like, right, Did something happen? And I, I don't know whether I ever looked like I was struggling on the outside. You know, it's hard to say looking back as an adult to how I must have been presenting as a child. But I know that there were definitely experiences I had where I, I probably came out looking more kind of like on the, I don't know, um, like irritable side. Like, I think I was a little bit prickly as a teenager, as I was starting to remember all these different memories. And I I do recall actually going into, I think it was my first year of high school. So being 15, and these memories are flooding back in. And I think at 15, I was still, you know, I was, I was, my, my mental health was deteriorating, but it hadn't hit the worst point that it would yet. But I do remember in that year, this kind of Uh, oscillation that would happen for me of being able to feel like I was approaching some of my teachers and then really just shutting down, turning off and not wanting to have a lot of contact with them. And I do remember my homeroom teacher actually making a comment about how my personality seemed to have changed. And so I think that was the one person who noticed that maybe something was going on. But at the time, I never really felt like he was understanding me or like it, it felt more kind of like a judgment than it did. A, you know, a person who is is really concerned. So that impacted me, and I I think just having the feeling like nobody cared enough to wonder what was going on made me isolate even more and made me feel more invisible. Which then, in turn, impacted my relationships because I would detach and I wouldn't put in the effort to get to know people as well as I could have. And so, kind of created this feedback loop where. I detached more, I kind of pushed people away. And so I'm sure that they were kind of like, oh, you know, who's this girl? And why would we get to, you know, try to know her if she's being a bit icy or prickly? And so they wouldn't try to get to know me. And it it just created this loop that I found very, very difficult to find my way out of. And I'd say it probably wasn't until much later on in my, maybe even my late 20s, where I really started to find my way out of that loop. And to be honest with you, it's still something that plagues me today. I need to work really hard to make sure that I am keeping myself open to new people, and that I'm not allowing my um, my natural tendency to be a bit standoffish to get in the way. So it it's been a lifelong journey of really trying to approach people rather than avoid, and I am quite confident that that difficulty in approaching comes directly from the experiences I had with abuse. So definitely I had some issues in terms of disconnecting with people interpersonally. Um, Around the age of, I want to say sometime between, I guess it it, it depends on what substance I'm talking about here. So I'm going to talk about substances. So trigger warning for anybody who finds that to be a difficult topic. Uh, So I discovered some substances quite early, I would say that my first experiences with substances were probably again around the age of 14. So you can see that everything starts to align with that age when the memories began flooding back in. And over the years, I played with a few different substances, um, some sticking a little bit more than others. And in those experiences with substances, I unfortunately, I'm going to say now as an adult looking back experienced something that felt like it was giving me, I guess, an opportunity with other people, that the substances really filled that sense of emptiness that I frequently experienced. And it seemed to offer me this ability to become more social with other people. And for the first time in my life, I really felt a sense of belonging when I was engaging with these substances around other people. So obviously that was a problem because it was not the right way to connect with people and created a bit of a dependency where I started to believe that I was only really able to be socially uh, adept when I was engaging with substances. And again, lifelong process to work my way out of this. Um, I guess a fun fact that I will share right now is that uh, in current day, I am sober of everything. And the reason why I chose sobriety has been largely because I wanted to prove to myself that I didn't need a substance in order to be able to speak to people socially and actually enjoy being social. So this is one of those moments where I want to pause and just highlight that and say to anyone who's listening that, again, there is hope that now at this current stage of my life, I do not need substances in order to feel connected. And so if I'm able to get to this point, then I absolutely believe that you are too. And I know it's really, really, really difficult and it, it takes time and it takes a lot of, of work to get there. Um, an odd thing started happening, but coming back to when I was younger, using substances I had a really, now looking back on it, it's, it's, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing, but I'm going to share it because again, in this, um, you know, I, I'm really valuing trying to be authentic with you and vulnerable so that that taboo can be broken. And so that if you have any of these experiences that I did, rather than walking around in this ball of shame, thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I've, I've done all these things that, you know, like how embarrassing, or, you know, I'm never going to be able to admit this to people because, They're going to judge me. I I really am trying to break that down and um, help you with just feeling validated and normalized in some of the experiences you're having. So maybe you've had this experience too. When I was a teenager, I had an experience uh, that lasted for a long time, actually going into my 20s, where if I was using certain substances, again, just just for the sake of not triggering anyone, I'm not going to share what I was using. I don't think that's necessary. But with a certain substance, I was finding myself just sharing about my trauma with anybody who would listen. And like these poor people, like sometimes it would be people that I really didn't know at all. And I would very nonchalantly just blurt it out of, hey, this thing happened to me. And like, talk about a jaw dropping moment, right? Like people I'm sure just had no idea what to say. And it was interesting. It's, well, especially now, it's interesting looking back because I think that this substance kind of just gave me an opportunity to process what was going on by taking out the distress of what I had been experiencing, that I was able to talk about this trauma without necessarily having the distress attached to it. Obviously, was not very good for my relationships, and so I certainly am not condoning anybody to try that because, oh my God, um, it is embarrassing now looking back on it. But it is part of what happened, and I think that that experience of just even saying a saying it out loud anywhere probably was a part of the process of healing. And so I am going to suggest that if if you're someone who hasn't shared with anybody that this has happened to you, that You start to play with the idea of maybe sharing it with one person, somebody that you trust and that you do believe likely would support you if you were to disclose that this had occurred. And if you're not comfortable with it being a personal person in your life, then this is what therapy does, right? That you can find a therapist that you can share this with. And just know that it's a person who is there to listen. They're trained in non judgment, they want to hear what you have to say because I do think that part of the healing process is to start to speak. I really think it's important, but not with substances. So don't do like I did, <laughs> go and see a therapist or go find a friend and, and talk about it over. Uh, but that is something that happened and it happened for me for a long time. The other thing that happened, kind of same situation, but, but, but different outcome, uh, when I would have alcohol. And again, this happened from when I was, a teen all the way up until um, relatively recently so I don't again I don't drink anymore uh, but when I did I find that no matter how much work I do on my trauma if I have alcohol it all comes out of me at the end of the night meaning that I find myself with just a flood of emotion and it used to be when I was younger that it could be really, really intense. So crying, um, like just loud crying, right. Really sobbing, uh, lots of flashbacks coming back, lots of memories and just messy, messy, messy. And that isn't, you know, it's hard to say, cause again, I don't drink anymore. So who knows what it would look like if I actually did right now, but, um, even in my later years, like when I recently, like I've, I've been sober now for about, um, uh, at the time of this podcast, it's been about 18 months. But so prior to that, I could still sometimes feel those emotions coming up if I'm drinking. And when I think about what alcohol does in the brain, it's a disinhibitor, right? So it really reduces the capacity we have to fight any urges it's really shutting down that frontal cortex that prefrontal cortex that uh, is involved with things like planning and regulating and um, uh, like regulating our our decisions and whatnot uh, being able to kind of weigh out pros and cons so that part of the brain is kind of going offline when we're drinking and we're left with the part of the brain that's really a lot more primitive it's you know the emotional components and whatnot so it makes sense right that that's what would show up when alcohol was um was being used for me, so I don't know if that's something you experience or not, but if you do, uh, I just want to say I'm with you <laughs> right? it's really hard, and um that I think there's there's lots to think about advantages and disadvantages of of consuming alcohol when you have gone through any type of trauma. So for me, part of my healing journey has absolutely been to abstain from alcohol. And my mental health is so much better since making that decision. And it took me years and years and years and years to get here. And I recognize it's not an easy decision to make. And sometimes it's not the best decision for everyone. So um, no judgment here what you decide to do. Definitely to each their own. Uh, But again, in the spirit of transparency, I wanted to share with you what my journey has been, and and yes, that has been a, a crucial part of my healing. Um, okay, so that's really what my mental health looked like when I was experiencing kind of the 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 worst of it. So depression, anxiety, substance use, um, some eating behaviors, um, just really feeling just very very down. Lots of flashbacks lots of intrusive thinking as in like thoughts that would just kind of show up that I wasn't able to shake. So not good. The other behavior that I noticed that showed up quite often for me was that I seem to have kind of a warped core belief, I guess, of who I was and how worthy I was for as a person and what my worth was attached to. And I do think that likely when I think back on it now that this probably was due to the fact that the way that I ended up getting attention from this family member was very much tied to the things that he wanted me to do and that there was a conditional um, a conditional love, we'll say, that's attached to that, right? That I was only worthy, it felt like I was only worthy in his eyes if I was doing these things that he wanted. And so I think I learned that, um, I thought anyway, that I, I, I ended up believing that the way to get attention, especially from men, was through being noticed for things like my looks and kind of the ways that I acted. And I started seeking a sense of belonging through relationships with males And I noticed that I would, they would give me this attention if I, you know, acted in certain ways or dressed in certain ways. And that really, like, that makes me sad. Now thinking, you know, thinking back on it um, from the age I am now, and just knowing that I was so young at the time, and thinking that that was the only way that I had worth, it just really hurts my heart. And it made I think just connecting in general and dating in general is so much harder because I never really f- got to feel like I was myself. I was always trying to fit this image of what I felt like men wanted from me. And I, there was a lot of anxiety around there, not knowing or, or feeling like it wasn't okay to be myself and feeling like I had to put on a facade all the time, walk around with this facade to try to match what I believed men wanted me to be. Yeah, that one, that's a sad one for sure. Uh, so if anyone out there, if you're listening to that and, and resonating again, just know that I'm with you. It's hard right? when that's what you've been taught is that your worth is tied into yeah how you think other people want you to to act. And I am very happy now to no longer believe that and what I've been finding for myself is that my experiences with other people actually tend to be a lot more rich now when I'm able to act like myself. And, you know, it's been it's been many years at this point that um, I've I've held on to that belief, right, that I have to act and, and be in certain ways. Um, I'm generally able to be very authentic with people now and and just be me, right? And act like me and it's so freeing. And um, yeah, it's just been a a remarkable difference. And in future podcasts, I'll talk about how I got there and what that process has looked like as well. So just stay tuned and and we'll eventually go there. Um, But I think that's that's a nice segue to where a lot of my healing began. I met who is my now husband when I was in my early 20s. And I'm, I'm really lucky to have met him because he was a person who was willing to stick it out with me despite the fact that I had all these big messy emotions that were often flowing out of me and I had these behaviors that, you know, really weren't the greatest. They weren't super appropriate. I'm sure it was challenging at times to be with me and um and yet he did stick it out and having that foundation for me really did make a difference of somebody who was there who was supporting me I ended up disclosing to him pretty early on that I had been abused because at that point that's kind of what I did again it just kind of like flew out of me at some point right and and I ended up telling people that um I ne- I shouldn't have necessarily told or, you know, I, I told them too early on. And-, and so I'm sure that that was the experience I had. I know that was the experience with him because that at some point it just kind of came out and um, he didn't run away, which was pretty cool because that wasn't always the experience. And um, he just really became my biggest cheerleader at working on my mental health and trying to put the pieces of who I was back together with me. So, I have a lot of gratitude for that. And I recognize as I say this that that's, I know that's not the case for everybody here who's listening. And I do not want you to walk away today thinking that you must find a person, right, a partner in order to heal, because I think there's lots and lots of different pathways to healing. And that's just one of them. But again, in the spirit of transparency, I am sharing with you that was my experience. And so, to not say that, I think would be, dishonest um, but i i do absolutely believe that there would have been other pathways to healing had that not occurred for me um, but it did occur for me and so with his support i was able to stop all substances except for alcohol alcohol was something again it, that's just been a recent thing that i have um, stopped using you know in the last year and a half or so Um, but I stopped everything else and that really helped stabilize my mental health. And at that point, my eating had already been pretty stable. So that was, that wasn't necessarily something that had, um, changed with him, but it, it just continued to stabilize. I ended up going to therapy for the first time after I met him and therapy was life changing for me. It was so helpful. I remember one of the most defining moments of my healing journey in my first therapy experience being that my therapist has suggested to me that I could shift the way I saw myself away from being kind of a victim. Um, I, I don't like that word, by the way, I'm gonna pause and just say that. it's not, It's not a great word to, I feel like it's again, a very pathologizing word to use when it comes to survivors of abuse. But where she was coming from with this was this feeling of being a victim, of sitting in the grief and like this bad thing happened to me and I'm broken because of it. That's kind of what she meant by that. She wanted me to work on trying to shift that mentality of, of being a victim of abuse to instead being a survivor of abuse. And a survivor is someone who, you know, instead of being Kind of sad and in grief and feeling broken as someone who gets kind of angry for the fact that this happened and activated because it happened. And that was really helpful to me. I knew that I eventually wanted to have kids. And she had suggested to me that I could take what had happened to me and use it as a way to protect my future children by making sure that because I knew what to watch out for, I could. To the best of my abilities, ensure that it never happened to them, and I found that to be so incredibly empowering. And to this day, that is what I do. I am so aware of what are the signs that somebody could be potentially even considering abusing. That I I, I really have this like laser focus on that um when it comes to trying to protect my kids and I I wouldn't have had that had I not gone through what I did so obviously I, I don't wish the abuse on myself I don't wish that it had happened and it did happen and therefore this is something I can take from it is having a sense of how to protect in a way that I just wouldn't have been aware of so that was a key in therapy and then fast forward another few years I did some EMDR with another therapist. And EMDR is an evidence-based trauma treatment. It stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. And it was, again, just life-changing, like absolutely life-changing. What the EMDR did for me is that it took the distress of the abuse that I remembered down markedly. So I used to feel quite distressed whenever I thought about the abuse that had occurred. And through the EMDR, I got to the point where, you know, the abuse is always still, it's its somewhat emotional. It's upsetting to think that it happened, but I'm not distressed anymore. I can think about it and not feel overwhelmed. And that has been such a gift. Um, other things that I've done is that I so I I mentioned that I wanted kids. So I, I did end up having two beautiful daughters and that has been a really important part of my healing journey as well, because it's given me an opportunity to just put my effort and energy into these little people who are not me, right? Try to put my focus into something else beyond myself. And again, I don't think that having kids has to be a pathway that's necessary for healing. I do, however, think that having something in your life that really gives you a sense of purpose is vital. You need to be able to have something bigger than yourself to focus on. So whether that is children or whether that's friendships or volunteering or a career or, you know, anything that, you know, making something beautiful or creative, right? Anything like that where you are just doing something that is bigger than yourself is definitely going to be an avenue to healing. So for me, my kids have been that. My career has also been that. So I completed a a graduate degree in my kind of mid twenties and I became a registered psychologist and yeah, like that's been meaning making in itself I specialize in using dialectical behavior therapy or DBT. And I also use two different evidence-based trauma treatments, prolonged exposure and EMDR to treat folks that are struggling with a range of psychological concerns, uh, definitely including things like developmental trauma and just PTSD in general. Uh, but also uh, I specialize in treating people who have personality disorders as well and other things, mood disorders and whatnot. So that's really been a a vital component in my life because again, it's that giving back piece that has been so, so, so essential that every day I'm able to go and do something that makes me think of things other than my own trauma so that my head's not always stuck in what happened to me instead, I'm thinking about how can I help other people. So that's been just huge. And I I have so much gratitude for the work that I do and, and for the clients that I see. And it's been meaning making there too, because being able to treat people who've gone through traumatic events is a way that I'm able to use the experiences that I have, had to be able to just give back and you know I think that the things I've I've experienced allow me to be more empathetic with my clients and just understand them on a different level because I have had those lived experiences so that's been really great another thing that I've done kind of on that same note is recently I've started to volunteer for a nonprofit organization located in my province of Alberta and this nonprofit focuses on, uh, what's it's, a, it's about helping people who have experienced childhood sexual abuse. So there's a the treatment side of it, but the, the part that I volunteer for is actually on a prevention side. So it's on preventing childhood sexual abuse and educating people on what are the signs to look for that abuse might be occurring. And so again, back to meaning making, you know, I, I, I don't like the fact that the abuse happened to me and it did. So, how can I make some meaning out of this and feel like that all the suffering that I've gone through hasn't been for nothing, or that that it hasn't been for nothing? That there's something that I that I'm able to get out of it because this thing has happened. So that really brings us to present day and the birth of this podcast. And my hope is that with this podcast. And sharing all this information with you, I can reach people who have suffered from abuse and and just let you all know that you're not alone. There is hope and you can go on to live full, meaningful lives that are filled with contentment and joy. And I do think that's possible. I know it is because I've done it. And if I've done it, then I know that you can too. So thank you for listening. Next episode, I will go through more information about the after effects of childhood sexual abuse. And we'll just talk kind of on a broader level of what some of those symptoms can look for or look like. So until then you take care and looking forward to having you back here for next episode. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode helpful, please go ahead and leave me a review. And you can also subscribe to the show so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. For more information about me, you can check out my website, risefromcsa.ca, where you will find resources on childhood sexual abuse, as well as a link to Inner Solutions, which is my private practice located in Calgary, Alberta.